0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. What a privilege this morning to come and share in such an intimate moment for you as a family. And um, I I get it. We're part of a church family for a long time um, in Clayton. And uh, moments like this really pull us together. And this is what doing life together means. And you wouldn't do life any other way than to be in community. Already the message has gone out this morning about seasons of life, and for Jesse and Abby it's a new season, closing one chapter, moving into another, a bit of crying, then don't be too offended Jesse and Abby, there will be lots of laughter later, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's, it's how God designed this for us, and I believe this morning um, the Lord will want us to say that I... I am going to be faithful in whatever season of my life there is. Some would choose to say that I stand on the power of money or my property or my influence or my group of friends or my incredible family. But you this morning would say I choose to stand on a power that is Christ and Christ alone. I may Northside know this and the Churches of Christ, Victoria, Tasmania, Churches of Christ, New South Wales. Be anchored on the story of Jesus Christ and His story alone. You know, um, if we could get... Yes, thank you. And uh, thank you, Kristen, for reading. And we're going to move ahead if this works. <laughs> so let's go to the, the wheel. Yeah, there we go. Here we go. Um, some years ago, I was preaching on a series, and we started, uh, uh, we started on Ecclesiastes. Uh, it is a preacher's graveyard if you want to choose to, to preach on Ecclesiastes because at any one time people might come in and they think you are in a Buddhist monastery because it's so philosophical. But there is incredible amount about who God is uh, in Ecclesiastes. And so I decided to have fun and created a wheel of fortune. Anyone spun any of that, that thing before? So that's this wheel of fortune in the foyer of the church, and well, I just love sitting there and just watching the reaction of different people coming up to it and having a spin. Instead of having you know a lot of money or, uh, or what they will win, I just had just those seasons that Kirsten have just read—different seasons of life in each of those panels. And there was death, there was birth, there was tearing down, there was putting up, and it's all the seasons out there. And when they start spinning, you guess what everyone's hoping? That the pin would drop on prosperity, or birth, or uh, rejoicing, or embracing, or making love, and all that. But would pray like anything, please no death. Please, no death, <laughs> you know. And I was just watching this young kid spinning. And then where it landed was on death, the black panel. And grandma was like, oh, oh, this is no good. Spin again. <laughs> <laughs> and there he goes. And then, you know, that different reaction. And I found out that it, the wheel was weighted. <laughs> it always ended <laughs> on death. Uh, we quickly fixed that. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, um, you know, there are different reactions to it. One is, you know, a fortune telling approach uh, to the wheel of fortune and say, Oh, I hope my karma is good this time. You know, uh, will my streak of bad luck end this time? You know, give me a good one, please. Can we control our future? We want to keep this good season going or a series of only good seasons and no bad seasons or seasons that we don't want to know about. You know, um, I don't know whether you're barrack for any football team. I mean, the only quote to watch is, uh, of course. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And uh, it was so good to see Swans won on Friday night. Yeah, but more so, it was more thrilling for me to see Hawks lost. <laughs> oh, horrible people. Um, congratulations on Buddy, right? Eh? Um, but even more so, it was more thrilling for me to watch Collingwood win uh, yesterday. Yeah. It was fantastic. You know, we all been to games and we said, We go on there and we look at our players and we say, wow, fantastic, all our players are there. But we hate it particularly, not because when we lose, but we hated it even more if our players weren't in form. When they are not there, they are there in the body, in the pitch, but they are not there mind, soul, and heart. Isn't it? It's okay if we lost, if they give it all that they had. Living it out fully, so to speak. Or in a way, they were faithfully present in the game. Faithfully present in the game. So this morning, we're going to talk a bit about faithful presence. I feel that God wants us to be present in the pitch of your life. God wants you to be faithfully present in whatever season of life that you're called to live in. Spiritual formation, the character formation, who we are spiritually, everyone is formed. Every one of you is formed. Whether it's Mother Teresa or it is uh, that, um, uh, that militant in ISIS, everyone is formed. Spiritual formation of one kind or another happens to everyone. It is the process by which the human spirit or will is given a definite form or character. The most despicable as well as the most admirable people have had spiritual formation, the late Dallas Willard. Jesus said a disciple must become like his master. John described this process of becoming like his master as being completely made like Jesus. 1 John 4. And in Paul's words in Romans 8:29, he says believers that are brought into the kingdom of God are being conformed or made into the image of Christ. That is our goal. That is who you will become. That is who you will work to become if you believe in Jesus Christ. A Christian conformation is the work of the nurturing or cultivating of transforming an individual in character and in ambition to be more and more like Christ. I've been a local church pastor for 17 years. And for that length of time and more, I've been motivated to find or to look for that effective discipleship pathway. It's a mouthful. Essentially, I've been seeking for a system or a format that someone who comes new into Jesus Christ will become mature in Christ. And I tried many, many years searching for one, modifying another, customizing, implementing, splitting it up, doing it in different formats, this and that, to be brutally honest. I worked very, very hard to find that. That curriculum, that one system that will work. But can I tell you, I failed. I failed again and again. I mean, if you think about it, let's say, you know, we got 100 people in the church and I want to put them through this wonderful system that I got. The best one I've got, let me tell you the the stats to that. Out of 100 people, 10% 10% would come to the course. And out of that 10%, 10% would actually finish it. And out of 10% that finished it, only 10% can vaguely remember what they learned. I mean, what is happening? It, it, same, I don't know. Is this all we can expect from a discipleship pathway in any church? Is, it, is there anything, anything better than this? That was my quest. My question for many years still is. I'm going to make you very smart people. You know, you know how to impress people when you say words that are really big, but you know very little about it? <laughs> now, this is who I am, right? This is a, everyone say pedagogy. pedagogy. A, a, any teachers here? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Please forgive me if I quote anything out of context, but it works, right? Okay. Everyone says, andragogy. Yeah? Go out this, for lunch this afternoon and say, can I have uh, an andragogy, please? <laughs> what is that? Well, that is a Korean dish. <laughs> Bugogy or something. Uh, pedagogy and andragogy, they are... Uh, Educational philosophy. Firstly, pedagogy. Most discipleship program that I know are typically structured. They are what's called teacher centric. That comes from these teachers. My good intentions. I've got no 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 doubt about it. That every teacher has very good intention and very noble objectives, and they but they are teacher-centric, the teacher thinks what do, do, do my students need to know and it's about me and how I structure it and how well I communicate that, so pedagogical approach has a cognitive spin to it typically, that means all about head it is content driven how much can I drive out or give out at this period of time And there are typically a few characteristics, right? I'm going to name four. First, that there is an assumption that one size fits all. There is a track to which you hop on and then it takes you through to 101, 201, 301, and so on, and then you get into that advanced or master And then you graduate and you get a certificate. And everyone goes on that track. Okay, So, of course, my question as a pastor was to find that perfect one size that fits all. Secondly, design, of course, is predominantly cognitive, which means to say they are designed for information, it is, a, it is cerebral in approach, and it is knowledge-based. Thirdly, they are usually communicated in a classroom-type environment where there is a content expert like what I'm doing now. It is a unilateral communication. So you who don't know much sits with your mouth opening up like that, a bit like, you know, uh, Lunar Park, right? And then I spit out my expertise on you and you grab hold of everything. That's the other assumption. Fourth, sorry, maybe we should change the format right now. Let's have a bit more dialogue here, right? Laughter is good. And the fourth one is that it's mostly structured. It's organized and usually held in the same location. That's pedagogical approach. Who knows Willow Creek? Big church in Chicago, you know, big pastor, Bill Hybels, um, and they were famous for what's called a seeker-sensitive service. Very successful. In 2007, Bill Hybels revealed that one in four at Willow Creek expressed that they were stalled or dissatisfied with their spiritual state so while members were still very committed and desire for spiritual growth and although they exhibit high levels of christian behaviors they all express this express that they were they feel distant from christ well, as a way forward, that survey, which was a massive one, revealed that two, two, two of the highest uh, driving spiritual formation, or uh, two other two, two practices that drive spiritual formation, even during those time of dryness. were two? One, your quiet time. They actually um, are those who reflect upon Scripture and draw from it will continue to grow. Continue to grow. And secondly, those who gave themselves to the service of others, whether others in the church or others outside of the church, will continue to grow. So researcher Hawkins said this, Spiritual growth is not linear nor predictable. It is a complex process, as unique as each individual, and it it progresses at a pace determined by each person's circumstances and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual growth is a multi-dimensional learning curve. People grow spiritually through multiple inputs from teaching and study to spiritual coaching, everyday spiritual experiences. In my assessment, when I look at that and I look at Willow Creek's book, and you can get them, it's called Reveal and Follow Me, two books. Um, Willow Creek's study actually questions this is there this um, uh, one size that fits all discipleship cur- curriculum? Answer is no. It also questions Has there been an overemphasis on the art of teaching versus the art of learning in any church? It questions When does a disciple, when is a disciple ready? To learn? Where and how does learning take place? How does learning translate to transformation? These are key questions if we are seriously looking at moving everyone to maturity. So we come to andragogy. Well, given the uniqueness of each of you as individuals, your learning styles, you know, different people learn different things. Some are more tactile, some is, are more analytical and need all the information. Given your age, your life experiences, your felt needs at this very moment, and indeed, that each of you are in different season of time. Although there are few sharing that season of time at the moment, how many of you are pregnant? Right? That's a new season of time. Kirsten is your president. <laughs> andragogy is an education philosophy and it makes, but let me outline just four crucial characteristics of adult learning. Firstly, andragogy says that adults learn what they want to and when they want to. So I'm not kidding myself. I see every eye is really attentive hearing me, but I'm, I don't kid myself that every one of you are imbibing every word I say. Because you're sitting there giving me that expression of interest and all that. But if this is correct, Andrew Goji is right, you will learn what you want to from here and when you want to learn it. Malcolm knows is called Modern Father of Andragogy. Am I right, teacher? Right, yep. And he says that adults are self-directed learners. So they exercise the liberty and make the assessment about the appropriate time and their own content of learning. Could it be any wonder why Jesus said when he, every time He tells a parable, He says, Let those who have ears hear. Secondly, experience is the best teacher. All experience provides a fertile ground for learning. Your season of life, your season of life that you are in now, that Jesse and Abby is in now. That all the expecting parents are in now. That all those who had been sick or are in sickness are learning now. It is a fertile ground for, for spiritual formation because experience is your best teacher. To engage adults in learning is to give validity to their experience, whether it's been past experience or the experience they are presently going through. The ability to lead them to observe what's happening and to reflect on it is spiritual formation, key spiritual formation. Thirdly, adults are most likely to channel energy when they see relevance. For example, why am I teaching you how to do business if you've got no interest in business at all? Why would anyone be interested about how to handle an angry girlfriend when you got one, haven't got one? <laughs> That's no relevance. <laughs> but if you are conscious of your task at hand, you are conscious of your needs and your pains, and I speak to that, you will listen. So, learners ex- exercise what's called selective listening and they latch on only to topics of interest to them. So which begs to ask question, if you are all in different seasons of your life, and if I were to specialize or pick a topic only on one season, there is a chance those of you who are not in that season might switch off. Fourthly, adult learn through problem solving. We are, especially men, Right? see a problem, hey, I'm leaving today, you know, because I want to solve it. One of the best way to motivate people to learning, whether old or young, one of the best way to gain participation of all is that of shared ownership or stakeholding or profit sharing. Present the problem. Our church have a problem folks. This is where we are, this is where we're going to be, and that gap is so big. Everyone's got to pitch in. Young and old could respond to that kind of a call because it's about problem solving. Let's put andragogy in the context of discipleship. I'm going to say this way that if we have figured out andragogy, we have a danger of falling into pedagogy. So perhaps it is not a system that we are looking at or a format, an andragogical format of learning that we are looking at. But rather we say, have our church got that environment that is conducive for discipleship making? Is our church... In that culture of andragogical learning. So there are perhaps three that I like to suggest that I've put quite a bit of thought to: that we can set the climate for discipleship. And the first one is this: that the whole of life is a classroom, whole of life. You know, Jesus' plan for discipleship was fundamentally built on, come and follow me. And then he goes on, I'll make you dis- fishes of men. And what they did, the disciples followed him for nearly three years and learned in an unstructured way, whatever comes on that day, you know, that's a fig tree, Die. Remember Jesus taught that lesson and he just walked away without saying anything? And it's just like saying, Jesus, come on, you know? Don't you know about environment and looking after plants? And he left the disciples like in the dark for three days or something. Oh, Jesus, you know, you are not a greenie. Um, it's just like, and then Jesus come back and say, In three days, I will rise again. You see? So it, it, it's that, that object lessons. It, it's whatever comes on that day. So uh, whole of life is the classroom. Paul says to the Corinthians, follow my example. Because I really don't know what curriculum I have. But follow me. Follow my example as I follow Christ. Yeah? Some of you thinking of grooming younger people. Follow me, just as Jesse followed Sam. And he learned from that. And I'm very excited for Jesse and Abby. Um, where are you? Oh, they're with the youth today. Yeah, upstairs. Yeah, because they are they are going into what they don't know what's about, right? And by faith, and into this unique type of Bible teaching school uh, that say, "Live with me, live for a year, and learn from me." live for a year together with others and learn from one another. You know, that's andragogical learning. That is a climate for learning. The whole of life as they travel with other students or their students going to be that platform for learning, that platform for formation. The second climate that you want to set in the church for discipleship is this learning through the seasons, hence our passage today. You know, our spirit man and our spirit woman is getting form in every season of life. The season of having babies, the season of seeing someone pass on to glory, the season of planting new things or removing all foundations or all walls. There is a season we kill, especially the golden calf. There is a season where we choose to heal. There is a season when we say, I think this is truly dead and gone. This furniture is too old, let's chuck them up. But there is a season we say, no. Upholstering is the way to go. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> there is a season where we embrace. And like this morning is a season of letting go. But the scripture says and Solomon says everything that everything Every season is beautiful in its time. If it is a season for death, and we want to force new birth into it, it's not beautiful. If it is a season to let go, and you hang on to it for dear life, It is ugly. There is beauty in every season. And Solomon says, God has put a desire in your heart to understand the purpose in every season. And he say that God has an eternal purpose for every season in your life. So whatever you are going through at the moment, be present, not only in body, but in mind, in your heart, and in your soul. Be faithfully present in this season of your life and of your time. You will see something beautiful if you sit there faithfully long enough and patient enough. The Lord will show you the purpose of this if you have been faithfully present and patiently waiting. Watching how people react to the Wheel of Fortune I realize that there is my tendency and it's common that everyone has the tendency to deny, to pretend, to refuse or to reject some seasons of life. Be faithfully present. Receive, accept. The third thing about an andragogical climate for discipleship is to know that growth is learning and learning is listening. Growth is learning and learning is listening. The key skill for listening in a season of life is the ability to observe and reflect. What do you observe about what you're going through? Sometimes it's very hard because we are all bound out with emotions and we've been caught in the same parad- paradigm for such a long time. We can't recognize who we are. And we, perhaps the first stage of observing is to just let water under the bridge. Allow yourself to ex- that experience. And the psalmists are famous for that. But once you... Cross over the turbulence of emotion and you ascend. And then you are able to make good, clear observations of what? Who is God? I was up late last night and on SBS there was um, a movie. I'm not sure, SBS or Fox? The Tree of Life. Anyone seen that movie? Tree of Life? Um, Great one. It talks about this very well. Who is God in a time of suffering? Who is God in a time of turbulence? Who is God in my time of need? Who is God in the time of our rejoicing? This is theology, it's practical. Who is God in my season of time? What am I learning about Him? Secondly, is what am I learning about other people? How do they relate to birth? How do they relate to tearing down? How do they relate to uh, building up? How do they relate to, to whatever season? What's their philosophy? What's their approach? What their beliefs are? How they react towards it? How they react towards one another? We get to learn a lot about other people. What do I observe in this kind of season? The next one question is really important. What is this season? Revealing to me about who I am. What am I like? How have I been formed? What sort of belief do I hold on to? What sort of wrong beliefs that I hold on to? The ability to observe and to reflect, I guess, is most important when it comes to this. That we must not only look at what other people are doing or not doing, but really about myself as well. Because it is about me and my growth. It is scary. Because according to Dallas Wheeler, we are being formed, like it or not. Even if you don't want to think about it, even if you don't want to reflect about yourself, you are being formed. And it's a scary thing. What is forming you if it is not God and if it's not you? The next thing is, what can I do about it now? What can I do about it this week? And then you turn that into prayer. What can God do in this situation? Now, I'd love to talk this through a bit more, but, you know, you've got to invite me back again. <laughs> when Solomon asked God for wisdom and knowledge in Second Chronicles 1, I suspect that what he was given by God in that instant was the aptitude and the skill to make insightful observation and the tenacity to, dif- to, to reflect deeply. Insightful observation and deep reflection. Crave for that. Wanted people, wanted. Solomon understood that the gift of wisdom given to him was the gift of listening to God. So he instructed his countrymen, he says, When you go to the house of God, go near to listen. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Listen. Listening is the art of wisdom gathering. To be able to listen is to be able to dialogue with God and some call this prayer. I think that's correct. And let it be and you be, and, be allow, and allow yourself into that privilege of entering into the presence of God and letting Him speak that beauty and that purpose of your season. I'm just finishing. Oops. Pedagogy is great, and I'm not knocking that out. Teachers, don't give up your job. It's very important. When you're in primary school, it is about the expert giving wisdom and teaching. There is that one way thing that happens. Pedagogy is good, but perhaps in our church environment, when we have not thought enough of andragogy. And let's learn from the wisdom of Solomon. I'd just like to close with this story and it is a north Side story. In your midst is another Solomon. Am I right? <laughs> David and Helen Solomon. <laughs> Helen, are you here this morning? <laughs> Helen? That's Helen, right at the back. Yep. I got this permission from your husband <laughs> to share this story. So, if it's not good, hammer him. <laughs> <laughs> What's the time, that time when you, Helen, when you learned your mom um, had passed away and she was in Adelaide, was that right? Yeah. In fact, you grew up uh, in Narakut. That's right. Beautiful place. Nice caves. And instead of deciding to fly to Adelaide, you and David decided to drive. Is that right? And you drove. It was a longer journey. It take you a longer time. Is perhaps more strenuous than flying. And it's, it's the long way around to your destination. But I asked David, why? Why did you choose to drive? Not knowing what I was preaching on this morning. He said, well, because the longer hours and the slower mode of travel... Allowed us to talk, to remember, to pray, to grieve, to imagine the future without Mum, then to read scripture. And it also allowed us to stop when we wanted to, not hurrying through the process not pushing the agenda, but letting time for us to sit, to reflect, to observe ourselves, to learn who God is, to learn who other people and our relatives, our brothers, our sisters, our nieces, our nephews, and how they will relate to death. To learn about my own self, what does death mean to me, What's my, what does mortality, my own mortality means for me? You see, be faithfully present in your season of your life. And Jesus said in Matthew 11 verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The yoke is the teacher's anointing. What he's good at, what he knows best, his character and his nature. He says, take that upon you. I'm gentle, I'm humble, and you will find rest. This is the place of faithful presence And I feel God's telling every Northsider, be present faithfully in whatever season you are in. Jesus is with you. This is a very precious time for your spiritual formation. God bless you. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au